But um, I like Christmas. But I think it's fair to say that in our modern culture, Christmas and its true meaning has been lost. It's been very much replaced by materialism and selfishness. True story? I know that uh, a certain small boy who will go unnamed keeps asking me for presents because it's Christmas time. (laughs) But for those of you who have been living for God for any time, you will know that Christmas is not just about the parties and the wish lists. It's about Jesus. Amen. The problem is, is that because this season has become so materialistic, it is also a season where depression is very high, where selfishness is very high, where things are not always good in families. It can often be a time of financial stress as well. And so what we're going to be talking about this morning with the help of the Lord from my voice will be the true meaning of Christmas. And we're going to be spending the next four weeks looking at unwrapping Christmas, unwrapping Christmas. If you've got your Bibles this morning, once you grab them, go with me to the book of Matthew. It's just not working for me today. Just managed to spill water all down the top of my shirt. Bless the Lord. No voice and wet clothes. This is going to be an interesting Sunday. (laughs) Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read from verse uh, 21. When you're there, why don't you say amen? I'll wait for a couple more minutes. Matthew chapter 1, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, verse 23, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Everyone say Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. Now, don't you know there's just some things that get better with time? Put your hand up this morning if you know what an Apple Music subscription is. Put your hands up if you know what an Apple Music Okay, a few people. Who knows what an MP3 is? Put, you know what an MP3 is? Okay, that's great. That's great. Put your hands up this morning if you know what a CD is. Okay, yeah, most people know what a CD is. That's pretty good. What about this one? Who knows what a cassette is? Okay, a few of the younger people aren't putting their hands up now. You poor young people, you will never know the torture of having to rewind your own cassette with a pen. Because <laughs> you don't have one of those fancy auto-rewinding machines. Put your hands up if you know what an 8-track is. Oh, a few people know what an 8-track is. Put your hands up if you know what a, a vinyl is. Okay, yeah, young people like, Pastor, what's a vinyl? Is that like floor covering or something? You know, the problem with a cassette 
was that you could only fit maybe, what, maybe eight songs on a single side, and, and then you'd have to turn it over to listen to the other eight songs, and, and so you'd have these big libraries of cassettes, and, and then you had CDs, and CDs had a similar kind of problem. You could fit maybe 12, 13 songs on it, unless you had the right tools, you could create like a mixed track, and you could burn like 20 songs onto a CD, so you didn't have to change it. I remember when I got my first car, I had installed in the back of it a six-CD stacker. Anyone know what a stacker is? Man, I thought I was the bee's knees. It was cool. I had burned all my songs onto discs. I had about 200 songs in my library, all on different CDs. And you could just, I could sit in the front seat driving with a little remote control and change, push a button and change CDs. I'd hear this sound from the boot, like... And then the song would start, you know. Yeah, young people are never going to have the torture of that again, you know. But it is true that as technology is getting better, it's becoming better and better and better. You know, on my phone, I can now look up pretty much any song in the world out of millions of songs and have it playing on my phone in an instant. It just gets better. And it gets better and it gets better. And you can store more stuff. You know, you think about hard drives. The very first computers would take up this entire room. I remember once when I was living in New Guinea, I found an old computer in a storage room. I thought, well, this will be fun. Let's plug it in and see if it turns on. I plugged it in. It turned on. I couldn't believe it. Do you know how much memory the hard drive had? It's a massive hard drive. It had a 64-megabyte hard drive. Now, you people who are not techno geeks like me have no idea what that means, right? So my phone has 256 gigabytes, right? That's 256,000 megabytes. This computer had 64. And my phone's not even the biggest that Apple does. Right, And so technology gets better. And, and here's the thing. While we know that everything God does is right and it is perfect, have you ever stopped to consider that Christmas is all about God improving a 1,400-year-old system? You see, before the birth of Jesus Christ, or, or I guess more correctly, before his death on the cross, God interacted with humanity through priests who offered animal sacrifices for the temporary pardoning of sins. Amen. But when Jesus died on the cross, he became the ultimate sacrifice, the one that forgave all sin for all time, had the power to remove sin and to free from sin for all time. And, and it left God able to interact with us individually on a personal level. That's what Christmas is about. It's about celebrating the fact that we can have a direct relationship with God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through someone who is the gatekeeper between us and God because we're not worthy to have a relationship with God. The birth of Jesus signaled the change. That God was improving things. And I, for one, am very grateful that you don't have to bring a lamb to church today for me to barbecue for you to cover your sins for a year. 
I wouldn't know what to do with it. I am glad that Jesus came. Amen. And that's God's Christmas gift to you. His offer of salvation through the new covenant that He has established with humanity. Now now think about that message. And how does that compare with society's message about what Christmas is? You see, society's message about Christmas is, is you've got to get the best gifts for your kids. You've got to make sure you're giving them the best Christmas. Because, you know, when you were a kid, you didn't get that. So you've got to give that to your kids. It's about making sure that your kids have better presents than the other kids in the neighborhood. Hello? And it becomes very materialistic. And, and you go to the shops and it's all about lay by now, sale now, special now, buy now, do it now. It's a constant clamor for attention. And in the middle of that, there's Jesus saying, hey, I improved this system over 2,000 years ago and you can have a relationship with me. I, I submit to you today, there is no other gift that is worth having than a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no other gift worth having than salvation because of what Jesus did on a cross for you and for me. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, and I guess for me, that brings me assurance. It brings me comfort knowing that God was interested enough in my future to be willing to come to veil himself in flesh, to walk amongst us as a human. And yet God manifest in the flesh to be willing to pay the price to give this gift to me. That blows my mind. Someone ought to shout amen right now. Praise the Lord. Now let me ask you another question this morning. Have you ever been gifted a gift that you regifted? I'll ask you that again. It's a bit double dutch, isn't it? Have you ever got a gift that someone gives it to you like, hey, that's really nice on the outside, but in your mind you're thinking, my Lord, that's horrible. I need to find someone else to give that to. Preferably a distant relative so that they'll never meet and see each other. You know, you get, get that shirt from someone, you know, and it's bright orange with pink polka dots. You're like, where in the world am I ever going to wear that? Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. What a unique present. Meanwhile, you're thinking, you know, I know that crazy guy at work who loves really loud shirts. I'm going to take that to him for our Christmas party. Hello? Have you ever re-gifted a gift? Often the gifts that we give each other are not appreciated. Anyone with children can say amen to that. You know, we agonize over which toy or which Lego set or this or that. And it seems like three weeks later it's all broken and they've forgotten about it and they want a new toy. Amen? And we've like, we spent our hard-earned money on that. We, we thought really carefully about that. Amen? And, and they're often forgotten. But here's the thing. God's gift to us is something more valuable than the most expensive gift that money could ever buy. God, the creator of every molecule in the universe, became human and walked among us. He did this knowing that those he came to save would kill him. What a gift. Why don't you grab your Bibles? Let's turn to the book of Luke this morning. I want to read you something here. 
We are unwrapping Christmas this morning. And we will be unwrapping it for the rest of this year till Christmas time. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start reading from verse 25. Luke chapter 2. Verse 25, say amen when you're there. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, listen to this, Lord, Now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. Everyone say all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Notice Simeon's words in in verses 30 to 32. Jesus is described as salvation is prepared in the sight of all people. A light for the Gentiles and the glory of Jews. And if you want one line to know what Christmas is about, here it is. The truest meaning of Christmas is that salvation is for all. It's not just for a select few. It's not just for those who are special. It's not for people who have somehow earned it. The gift of salvation is open for all, and it is the most precious gift of all. Amen. The Bible tells us that the event that we celebrate as Christmas, and let me just jump in here right now quickly because I know there is some YouTube preachers who are out there saying, if your pastor says that Jesus' birthday is in December, he's a liar. That's rubbish. I know Jesus wasn't born in December, okay? But we celebrate his birthday in December, okay? Let's just get that out of the road. But the event that we celebrate as Christmas the birth of Jesus Christ, it was in the mind of God from the beginning of all time. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, the Bible calls Jesus the Lamb that is slain from the foundation of the world. Or or before the world was even ever created, God knew that Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of mankind. The soul-cleansing effect of Christ's death and the redemptive power of His blood. It's not just enough to cover the sins of the saints from that moment where He died and onward. But it is enough to cover the sins of all of the Old Testament. That is why the children of Israel were so careful to make sure that every year the collective sins of the nation were rolled on and rolled on and rolled on so that payday would fall after the death of Jesus. And it would be enough. To cover all those sins. Jesus came to earth as a baby. He grew into a man and then died on a cross bearing the weight of all of humanity's sins from the very beginning of time until the day when he comes comes back to take us home. And in doing so, he instituted what we call 
a new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. New covenant. Now what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement, a promise or a contract. We might have a more modern term, a contract. You know, when you want to buy a property and, you know, Sonia and I had a look at a property on Friday together. We got a couple of plans and I'm going to sit down and talk with some people about that. But if we want to take over that lease, we have to sign a contract, a covenant that says we are going to pay the amount of money you want us to pay to be able to lease this place. Amen. It's a contract. And throughout the Bible, we see that God made covenants with people. We know that God made a covenant with Noah that he would never destroy the earth with water again. We know that God made a covenant with Abram. He said that he would make a great nation of Abram's descendants. We know that God made a covenant with King David. David's descendants would be established as heirs to the throne. And you, you looked throughout the history of the southern tribe of Judah, and there is always an heir of David on the throne. Covenant. Marriage is an example of a modern day covenant. You're making a covenant with one another. And in the book of Hebrews, why don't we turn there this morning? We see that this new covenant that has been created when Jesus came to earth is a superior covenant. It is the best covenant that has ever been delivered. Romans chapter 8. Sorry, Hebrews chapter 8. Did I say Romans? Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to start reading from verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, But now has he, it's talking about Jesus here, but now has he obtained a more excellent ministry. Everyone say, a more excellent ministry. By how much more also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, or if there was no problem with the first covenant, then should no place have been sought for the second. If there was no problem with the first covenant, we wouldn't have needed to worry about a second covenant. But finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. And what, we're going we're gonna to unpack this here, but what the writer in Hebrews is saying is he's saying the ministry or the, the service that Jesus is doing when he came to die on a cross, when he was born in a manger, that service that Jesus is doing is better than the ministry of the Old Testament priests. It is better than the service that they were able to offer to the people that they looked after. It is established on a better covenant with better promises. The promises of the Old Testament were temporal. Or in other words, they were based in time. They were temporary. They would eventually pass away. They involved the physical blessings that the children of Israel would receive in the promised land. 
they involved this, this land that they were traveling to. And this was the covenant that God gave. He said, if you obey my law, I will take you to the promised land. It was a literal place. But the new covenant, the promises of the New Testament are eternal. They last forever and they involve the spiritual blessings of eternal life. Or in other words, because of what Jesus did on a cross, because He was willing to come and veil Himself in flesh, the promise that we have is not based on some temporary thing. It's not based on some blessing that we might get in this life. It's not based on some good circumstance or not based on some good thing that might happen to us. But it is based on the fact that because the problem of sin is dealt with for eternity, we have the ability to live forever with God. That is the promise. And you look back in the Garden of Eden and that's what they lost. You see, mankind was created in the image of God. Before the fall, they would have lived forever. Eternal life. They had the tree of life right there. But the moment they sinned, you know, God warned them. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And the moment they ate that, things began to decay and their soul was disconnected from God. Not only was a physical death assured, but a spiritual death happened instantly when that relationship with God was cut. And so what Jesus has done for us by coming to earth was reestablish that connection with God and reestablish the fact that eternal life is now on the table for us again. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. The Old Testament covenant was based on God's covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jews. And in the Old Testament, the blood of animals atoned for people's sins. And, and this system did not offer a permanent solution. Amen. It pointed Israel to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would one day make on the cross. Before the cross, sins were forgiven in anticipation of Jesus' death and resurrection. And only then was the record permanently erased. If we keep reading on in Hebrews chapter 8. And verse 10. The writer has just told us about the old covenant. Now he tells us about the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall teach not every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And see, that is the heart of Christmas. The gift that God has given us is that an inner change can take place in our heart that cleanses us from sin and liberates our sin. It removes it completely. Amen. And we can now have a personal, a close, a meaningful relationship with God. Young people, hear me today. Your relationship with God through your mom and dad is not adequate. It's not enough. I'm sorry. I, I wish it was. 
There are times in my heart where I wish it was. Because if it was, that means that your relationship with the pastor would be enough to get you to heaven. But it's not. We have to be willing to lay aside distractions. And be willing to pursue that relationship with God. Because He has done everything He can to make that way open for us. But it falls to us to make that decision in our life. To say, yes Lord, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to have this new covenant in my life. This relationship can be one that is close. It's not one that is, that is formed by ritual and formed by habit. And you know, if I just come to church every week, then you know, I've got a relationship. No, you don't. That's not a relationship. If you only talk to your husband once a week, that's not a relationship. If you only talk to your wife once a week, that's not a relationship. If you only spoke to your kids for two hours a week, that's not a relationship. And it's the same with God. And the problem is, is that we are so tempted to fall into habit and fall into ritual. Well, it's Sunday, so we have to go to church. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be in God's house. But ritual and tradition were never adequate under the Old Testament covenant. And they have been completely superseded in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. God has made a way for us to have a relationship with Him. That's a great thing. Someone just give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. And here's the thing. Let's keep reading in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 8. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. The writer in Hebrews is making sure that we understand this new covenant has replaced the old covenant. The old covenant is no longer in existence. That means it's no longer good enough to not have a relationship with God for yourself. Because that is how God is relating to His people in this age that we live in. God no longer relates through a priest. God no longer relates through a pastor. He relates to you individually. He uses a pastor. He uses the teaching and the ministry of the Word. But He wants a relationship with you directly. You need to feel like I can get down on my knees and I can pray. And God will hear me. And God will answer me. You know, something I like to tell people. So often people come to me and they say, oh, pastor, I've got this big problem in my life and I don't know what to do and what should I do. And, and my first question is usually, well, have you spoken to God about it yet? Oh, no, pastor, I want to come and see you first. Don't come and see me first. Talk to God. You've got a relationship with Him, don't you? He's your father, isn't He? He wants to hear what's going on in your life, doesn't He? Talk to God. Talk to your pastor. Sure, that's fine. I don't, mind coming. I don't mind you coming to see me, but my first question is always going to be, have you been praying about it? Have you spoken to God about it yet? Because you bring it to me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go to God and say, God, what do I do here? Can you give me some direction here? I don't know. I'm sure other pastors deal with that too. 
Praise the Lord. So God's purpose for Christmas is all about God becoming one with us and becoming one of us. Because that's what Jesus did when he came to earth. You know, there's a lot of people out there who believe that there is no way Jesus was possibly human and sinless. He must have been some sort of spirit that was inhabiting a man's body or something like that. Or, or maybe he wasn't a real person. You know, you could kind of, maybe he looked like a person, but he wasn't quite a person. But the reality is, is that Jesus Christ was human just like you and just like me. He hurt just like you and just like me. The number of times as a carpenter, he would have banged his thumb with a hammer. It would have hurt him. The number of times he felt the pain of rejection and it hurt him. The number of times that he was tired and needed to go to sleep. You know, you think of the story in the boat, you know, where Jesus is in the boat and they are sailing out and they're in the storm. And, and the Bible says that Jesus is asleep. In the boat. Now, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm just weird like this. But I, I wonder, how tired do you have to be to be in a boat in the middle of a ferocious storm that is so bad that experienced fishermen with decades of experience are freaking out at the size of this storm? How tired do you have to be to sleep through that? I think when Jesus got into that boat and began to sail across, he was so physically exhausted that he just conked out and nothing was going to wake him. Didn't matter how big the storm was, he was out of it. That speaks to me. That speaks to me like you don't understand. Because, can I just be really honest with you this morning? I am tired. I'm tired. You know, let's, I'm just going to be really, really transparent here. You know, I'm going to the doctor on Tuesday for a checkup. Because I wake up in the morning and I'm tired. I work all day, every day. And I spend Saturday studying and preparing and working. And I get to Sunday and Sunday's draining. I spend my life exhausted half the time. And I try and eat right, and I try and eat moldy vitamins, but I'm just, I'm tired. And so when I read about Jesus, the Savior of my life, the one that I live for, so tired, in the middle of a storm, he's asleep in a boat. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't know what you're going through this morning. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't know what's going on in your life. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't know the circumstances. He does. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews a little earlier on, it says, we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to feel tired. He knows what it's like to feel discouraged. He knows what it's like to feel rejection. He was just like you and me. And that is the heart of Christmas. That is God's purpose for Christmas. In that as we go through life's trials... As we go through life circumstances, as we go through situations and the things that life does for us, we can know that Jesus understands our hurts and understands our struggles. And because of what happened at Christmas, it has changed 
the way that God can relate to us. See, I don't know. I mean, he's God. He knows everything, right? So, but, you know, the problem that you have in the Old Testament is that you could get on your knees and pray and say, God, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be tired. You don't know what it's like to struggle. But after Christmas, you cannot accuse God of that because he was here. And he did walk on this earth. And he did feel what we feel. And he went through what we went through. At Christmas, the idea of sacrificial love was wrapped up in the man Jesus and sent to earth. Someone ought to say praise the Lord right now. So to God, all he wants for Christmas is you. To borrow a song. Because to God, Christmas is about more than just a baby in a manger. It's more than just the miracle of the virgin birth. It's more than the God of the universe coming to earth in flesh to be with one with us. But God's gift to you this Christmas is complete freedom from sin. And a pardon for every mistake you have ever made. And the ability to get a pardon for every sin you will ever make. And every mistake you will ever make. God's gift for you is liberation from the burden of sin. That's a beautiful thing. And it is up to us if we are wanting to accept that gift. We have to learn that we need to have our lives transformed. Because that is what this gift does. It transforms your life. In the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because some people say, well, you know, that was for back then. But Peter goes on, he says, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is the gift of Christmas that God has for us. That our life can be transformed. Our life can be changed. Our life can be restored. Our life can be renewed. Our job. Turn to the person next to you. Say, my job. My job is to live a life of surrender. To live a life of obedience to God's word. To live a life of transformation. To allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. We ought not to be the same today than what we are going to be tomorrow. And we ought not to be the same today 
as what we are yesterday. But we are called to grow. We are called to transformation. We are called to change. And I guess that what, that's what grieves my heart so much is because even today as I look around, I see some people struggling with the same things they were struggling with 12 months ago. Young people, I'm looking at you. I see young people just worshiping God the same way, living for God the same way. And I get it. I don't know your heart. I don't know what conversations you're having with God at home. I don't know what your relationship is. I'm just looking at the fruit. Right? And God is saying, hey, come on. I have opened up the way for a relationship with me. And every relationship you have grows and changes and develops and becomes more beautiful over time. And that's what God has for us today. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. We are called not to conform. You know, and, and, and it's so easy at this time of the year to fall into the same trap that everyone else is in. I've got to get that. I've got to do this. I've got to do this task. I've got to start preparing a meal for the family. I've got to decorate my house. I've got to do this. I've got to do... And none of that stuff is wrong in itself. But when those things become the priority of the season and not a remembrance that the reason for this season is that Jesus came to form a relationship with us, to open up the way of fellowship again for you and for me. That needs to be in the back of our mind, church. Every day that we go through this season, every time we have to hit those shopping crowds at Earlville, Every time we've got to make sure we've got the ingredients in the house for our Christmas supper. Let's just remember that Jesus is the reason for this season. And He is the one that we are celebrating. Amen. Don't conform. Don't conform to what this world says we should be celebrating. But we should allow God to remake us this morning. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? Here's my question for you as you're all standing. This is your homework, if you like. For those of you who like this terminology, this is your challenge for this week. Not looking at anybody, looking at the roof. How are you going to make sure this week that you don't take God's gift for granted? Because we all do it, myself included. You know, we get busy. Life happens. I get it. And so often we struggle to, to connect with God. And He's wanting it. But we're just, God, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I know I'm three days behind on my Bible reading plan, God, but I'll catch up eventually. Hello? I'm three days behind on my Bible reading plan right now. <laughs> Amen? But how are you going to make sure that you do not take God's gifts for granted. Why don't we just close our eyes? We're going to just spend a couple minutes in prayer right now. Jesus, I worship you, Lord.